Hi, and welcome to Journeys to Belonging podcast with host Dr. Eileen Winokur, featuring awesome educators and leaders who share their journeys, advice, and personal stories about feeling a sense of belonging. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Belonging. On this episode, I have someone who I really recently heard about, uh, heard, uh, actually on uh, Stephen Hurley's Voice Ed Canada radio show in the morning that he plays live. For him, it's the morning, but for me, it's the afternoon. And I have heard Ramona Maharg's podcast and really loved it. And I was really excited because uh, she asked me to be on. And so that will be out in the next couple of weeks, I think, or, or month. But I'm really excited. Ramona, welcome to my podcast. Eileen, thank you for having me. It's a thrill. Uh, we were talking before we hit record about how exciting it is to be on the other side of the microphone for a change. It's, it's, uh, it's a different feeling, a little bit less uh, out of my control, but I kind of like it. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Well, hopefully we'll be out of control. So that's, that's, that's a good thing. So the, uh, I really didn't mention uh, much about you, uh, in fact, that I had just met you. So tell us a little bit more about what you do and uh, maybe just a little bit about your podcast. Sure. I am a special education teacher and uh, I teach in Ontario. I'm in the Southern Ontario region. So if you look on the map, um, very close to London, the, the town I teach in is called St. Thomas. If, you, uh, if you're looking at the big map, map, if you're an American and you think about Detroit and you think about Buffalo and you draw a line, I'm probably right in the middle of those two places. So it's about two hours either way to go to those places. Um, cool. I started as a, as a history and English teacher um many years ago I think I'm in my 26th year of teaching now um started as history and English and then was given my pink slip because those were fun times too and then they asked if I would come back and do special education in um, a congregated developmental classroom and I had done a lot of work um with um with students with autism and down syndrome in, as a supply teacher before I got my permanent contract and I said sure I'd be happy to do that in fact if they'd asked me to teach French I probably would have done that even though I don't speak French um, I just wanted to work. So I, I got into a, devel a developmental classroom and, I've, and I fell in love with, with that. So a couple times I've been department head, but that's not my, that's not my gig. I, I like being with the kids. I like building those relationships. Um, I love working with them on a long-term basis because I can have kids in my classroom from the age of 14 to 21. So, um, you know, the, the possibility is there for me to teach a kid for seven years. And you, the, the relationships you build and how you get to know those kids is something that you, you just don't get in any other teaching position. And I think that's one of the reasons I love it so much. Um, and I just, I love the joy the kids bring me every day with their smiles and their laughs and, and their accomplishments and even their failures. We, um, it, it's a great gig. And uh, people sometimes are saying, oh, you must be a special person to do that. I, I'm not a special person. I just love teaching and I just love kids. And, and if, you do, if you love that, it doesn't matter what you're teaching. That's so true. Uh, I'm so glad to, to hear that because we, we sometimes get this impression that certain, and I've been guilty of it also, that certain students are more difficult to teach or certain levels are more difficult to teach. And 
we, we sort of say, you know, you must be doing something special. Uh, but it's, it's really the passion and the love of, of being in the classroom. You're, you're so right. Uh, Ramona, the first question I ask my guests is if I say the word belonging or feeling a sense of belonging, what's the first thing that comes to mind? This is a tough question, and I'm glad you, you asked it first. And uh, I've, I've been listening to lots of your podcasts, um, and, and everybody has such a wonderful, amazing answer. I, I think for me, belonging is, is accepting who you are and accepting who everyone else is. So uh, when I say accepting who you are, that means um, having pride in who you are, what you do, your differences, your strengths, your weaknesses. But then also belonging means that you are open to those those differences, those strengths, those weaknesses in everyone else. Right. And, and that's so, that so connects to, to what you're doing in your classroom. And so I, I'd like to go there first. So what, what has this year been like 2020 as we, you know, sort of, I'm recording this with you sort of before the end of the year, before 2020 ends, it's been kind of an up and down year, uh, depending on which point of the year we were at. So how has it been for you and your students? Are you online? Are you in class? Uh, and how have you been able to navigate that uh, for them? Um, from March, when we first went into lockdown until June, we were online. And then we came back to school and um, my kids are all, um, all except two are in face-to-face uh, -face with me. And then I have two who have chosen to learn online, but they're still, they're still they still belong to me. They're not in an online remote school. So they're still doing the same work with me. Okay. Um, and then uh, we stopped for the winter break and it looks like we're going to be online at least for a little bit. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I haven't heard uh, for sure what's going to happen. I know that elementary schools will be uh, one week of online and they're saying secondary, which is what I am, a secondary teacher um, for a month. But then they also talked about special education students may uh, be able to come back to school after the first week. So that's my big hope because I found online very difficult to meet all the needs of my students. Um, we, did, we did great things. I was sure glad we had built community and belonging before that happened because yeah. It is way, way more difficult to do that through a computer screen, especially with students who I, I have several students who are nonverbal, um, students who have difficulties sitting for synchronous learning for any period of time. So I'm really glad I built those relationships with the students and their families before we went online because I think I would have really struggled if I hadn't. Mm -hmm. And I was also very glad that I'm also interested so much in technology because switching from in-class to online um, on the tech end of it was not difficult for me. I was ready to go. I, I had, you know, I was, I had been using Google Classroom. I had been using Teams meetings. I had been using Google Meets. So that, that part was the easy part. It was the keeping that community together, keeping the kids coming, coming in, wanting to be a part of it and, and, and doing the work and talking to each other. Right. How many students do you have in, in your classes? So we're capped at 10. Mm -hmm. So like I said, right now I have um, eight in person and two who have been learning online. Um, they just have some medical issues that makes it a little more dangerous for them to be in the classroom. We've been lucky we haven't had a single case in our school. So oh, knock on some wood because that's, that's good news. Mm -hmm. There have been cases around us. Um, but yeah, so I have 10, um, eight in the room. 
um, all with either autism, Down syndrome, or some developmental need. Some of them are readers, some of them are not. Some of them are verbal, some of them are not. Um, yeah, it's an interesting uh, range of abilities in my, in my group. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right about being able to establish that sense of community or those relationships before going online with those students that you, you needed to go online with, which also presents difficulties for the group of students that you're working with, but at least you had those relationships. So what are the kinds of things you do when you're, when you're in your classroom and you're able to be uh, with those 10 students in your classroom? What does that look like? And, and how do you create that sense of belonging? So we do lots of stuff. Um, <clears throat> a lot of my students are working uh, probably kindergarten to about grade three level academically. Um, socially, they're kind of all over the map. We do a lot of community building. We have community meetings every day. Um, lots of music because my students love to learn through music. Um, we do a lot of tribes. I don't know if you're um, aware of tribes training. So it's, a, it's about building community within your classroom as well. So lots of tribes games, which they love. Mm -hmm. um, I used to have flexible seating, which was um, the kids loved that. We had couches and rocking chairs and, and soft places to sit and quiet places to sit. And um, unfortunately, because of the protocols, we had to, to move those out and we're back to ugh, desks. Um, but that's, you know, that's what we got to do for now. So we're, we're making that work. Um, yeah, so the kids are working on literacy and numeracy and, and social skills, a little bit of pre-vocational training um, and, and just the skills they're going to need when they, when they leave the school. Yeah. And you said you're, you're at the high school level. So where did, where did, I'm curious, where do the students go once they're out of, um, out of your program or out of the school, the regular K-12 program? So that's, um, that's part of our, um, our knowing parents and, and getting to know the kids. It can be different for, it's different for every student. Oh, interesting. Some, yeah. So some of our students will transition to the world of work. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, whether it's a volunteer position or whether it's a paid position, it might be one day a week. It might be several days a week. We've had students who um, love to work at animal shelters or will work in seniors um, homes. Um, some of them have gotten jobs at places like fast food or grocery store stocking shelves. So some of my students are able to do that. Some of them are um, going to be at home, but going to day programs. So um, more socially uh, driven day programs where they get to, to hang out with, uh, with their peers. You know, they'll do fun things. They'll go on, on trips just like we would do, um, but a little less academically. And, and some of our students will be in group homes. So it will all depend on the student and on their family situation and what's gonna best meet what they need. Right, and by the time you get them, uh, I'm assuming that you have what they call IEPs or some program that you, you need to follow for each one and each one will be specifically fit for their needs. So from that, based on the fact that they've been in the school system for a while, are you able to really see what direction they're going in and be able to guide them toward that by the time you, you see them in, in, um, in high school? Sometimes, sometimes their, their path is, is fairly clear and sometimes it's not. And sometimes it depends on what parents are looking for and how much support we can get for them out in the community. It, it, it's very, like I said, you know, like they say about kids with autism, if you know someone with autism, you know one person with autism. And if, so if you know one of my students, 
futures, you know, one of my students' futures. It's all, it's all different and it's all geared to what their interests are, what they want to do, what they're able to do, or, or what we can help them learn to do so they can get to where they want. So some students, a big deal for them is to get the driver's license. And so we'll work on that for, for several years before they get their driver's license and try and help them build those skills. Um, but it's all, you know, it's, it's so student driven. So when people talk about uh, personalized education, is that something that sort of speaks to you? Is that something, how do you interpret that? Because there are just so many different kinds of sometimes misunderstandings, but also in your case, I'd be curious to see, you know, to know what, what you think of personalized education. What does that look like for you in your classroom? Yeah, I like to say that I was doing differentiation before we had a name for it. Um, <laughs> That's true. I bet you were. Yeah. So, so yeah, very much personalized. I mean, there's there's things that we do together, and we can we can pick a theme and use that theme to get at the different uh, mm-hmm. goals that the students would have on their own IEPs. So, for one student, let's say we're talking about. Weather has been a big one this year. The kids are very excited about tornadoes and hurricanes and snowstorms. And so for some of them, that is being their The goal for them is to be able to recognize the different, the weather and to know what to wear when we have different weather. Whereas for other students, the goal might be to, um, to create something about for example, tornadoes. Maybe they want to create a video or, or to, to show their learning through um, creating uh, a diorama or whatever it is, but what, whatever, it's the same theme, but they're all doing different things to show their, their learning. That's so interesting. So, you know, when, when teachers talk about personalized learning and differentiation, sometimes there's this focus on, it's very difficult for them to do individual kinds of processing or individual kinds of planning, I guess, not the processing but it sounds like you pull together what you can that benefits whatever the students are able to do, what they're able to do together or have similar interests about. And so you sort of build around those themes when it applies, but looks like you get to know your students really well, really well. Do you have them for uh, more than a school year or do they change each year? It depends sort of on the student. It depends on what our numbers are like. Mm -hmm. Um, Quite often I work with the students who academically would be at at the lower end of our larger group. We have right now, we have three classrooms. Mm -hmm. We have had as many as five. Um, We also have a classroom where the students are very much um, working on work placements. So they're out in the community daily. Um, those students tend to be a little bit older and um, are able to to ride the bus independently and go to those work placements. So it kind of depends on the development of the student. I've had students who I've had all seven years uh, with me, and I've also had students who, you know, they've outgrown me. They've, it's time for them to move on. And then, and then they're moved to a different classroom where they start to learn different skills that they're going to need to move forward. And as sad as I am to, to lose one of my ducklings, um, yeah. It is very, very gratifying to see them fly. I bet it is. And do you follow their progression afterwards? Do you kind of keep an eye on? Are you able to keep tabs or keep an eye on or hear about them afterwards, how they're doing? Um, quite a few. So once when they're still in the building, of course, it's easy to, to check in with them and how you're doing in the halls and stuff like that. But once they graduate, quite often they'll want to friend me. 
and they always want to friend me uh, on Facebook or, or Twitter um, while they're in my class. And I say to them, nope, not while you're my student. That's, that's just not appropriate. Right. But when you graduate, if you want to stay in touch with me, I will happily friend you on my social nice. media. And so quite, quite a few of them I, am, I, I see on Facebook, they, they share what they're doing. It's wonderful to see them. I have a young lady who is working um, for a church in, um, in Winnipeg, doing wonderful things in the community, lots of social justice. Um, I have a student who is working um, for the city uh, in parks and recreation. So I get, you know, if you go to the arena, I quite often will see him or see him around town. Nice. So it's nice that I can still see them in the community, but it is also great to have social media and they kind of keep me updated on what they're doing. And it's um, sometimes great. And it sometimes makes me feel quite old because I have some of them in, in their thirties. And I actually taught um, the child of a former student uh, last year as well, which also made me feel rather ancient. Oh gosh. Yeah. We won't talk about that when they start coming up to you and, and the, it's the children of the parents and you taught mm -hmm. the parents and <laughs> now they're bringing you their children. Yeah, uh, in my defense, I, I taught yeah. the mother in her, in my first year of teaching um, and, and she got, she got married right out of high school. And, and so she was, you know, quite young when she had her son and then I had her son as well. So when he walked in the room, I'm like, I know that kid right away from looking at him <laughs> and he said his name. And I said, is your mom's name such and such? Yes. Oh my gosh. I taught your mother. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. I, um, Ramona, I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier on for those who aren't familiar with tribes, could you sort of describe uh, what what you do or the kinds of things that are uh, expected, the training that's involved and so forth, uh, what that looks like in your classroom? So tribes is, I believe, a worldwide phenomenon. There's, a, there's lots of training materials, there's books, they have a wonderful website that you can go to. Um, our board is very supportive of tribes. And so it's a two day training for teachers um, that our board has supported and you go and you, you learn about the, what, why we're doing it and, mm -hmm. and the different, you play a lot of the different games. So you get a feel for them and you look at how it develops. Now, my students quite often don't get to that, that upper level in tribes, um, but we, but the games are still so valuable for building the community in the game. So so it'll be stuff like um, first thing in the morning, we'll play a game. I'm um, just trying to think one. one. One of their favorites is this is a scarf. And so I'll hold up a scarf and I'll say, this is a scarf, but it's not really a scarf. It's a, and then they have to use their imagination and turn the scarf into whatever. So it might be, they throw the scarf and it's a, it's a baseball, or it might wow. be, it might be they swish it and it's the scarf is the wind or they, whatever they can come up with. Um, and they pass it to the next person and say the same thing. This is a, this is a baseball, but it's not really a baseball. It's a hockey stick and they'll do the hockey stick with it and pass it on. Um, so there are games like that. They're, they're very fun, but they're also working on social skills. They're working on communication skills. They're working on getting to know each other better because quite often they'll pick something that of course is important to them. And you get to know students quite well by the different things that they pick. So if they pick a hockey stick, oh, did you see the game last night? You know, are, are you a Leafs fan? Poor thing, if you're a Leafs fan, but um, are, are you <laughs> not a good year, huh? <laughs> it's never a good year for the Leafs, oh, unfortunately. <laughs> and and so the, the games like that are they're very simple games, or they can be more complicated games. Um, they could be suited to younger children or older children. But I haven't. There, every once in a while, there's a student who takes a little longer because they're shyer to buy in. But sooner or later, they all want to be a part of that game. 
and the learning that you get from that and the community that you get for that is quite amazing. So I would um, hardly, high, very highly recommend checking out the tribe's website if you can find some training, great. But even just reading the book, finding the games to play, that's a great start. Yeah, that, that's, really, that's really interesting. I, I wrote that down so that in the show notes, I'll be sure to, to add that website uh, and the information that you mentioned. And so, and I imagine that it also increases their ability to listen well because they're sitting and uh, imagining the stories along with the other students as they mm -hmm. talk about what they've imagined this object to be. And what's nice about it, I, I'm thinking about the times that we were asked to sort of bring an object from home and describe it or, or say why it's important. But this is a wonderful way because, you know, sometimes parents don't want you bringing things into, the, into school or, or taking them out of the home. And so this is a wonderful way to imagine it. You don't need to bring the object in. You just need to imagine the object. So, mm -hmm. so that's, and that's another, really, yeah, go ahead. Another great game too that works on working memory is, um, there's a couple different games that do this, but it, it's where they have to build. So for example, it will be, um, I think it's called Show Me Your Motion. Mm -hmm. And so the kids have to do, let's say maybe clap their hands. And then the next person has to clap their hands and come up with another motion. Clap your hands, tap your head. And then the third one has to do all three, clap your hands, tap your head, stomp your feet. And by the time you go around the room, of course, trying to remember and the EA, my educational <laughs> yes, assistants are person, in 10. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like you could have 10 or 15. And of course I always quite often make myself the last person because mm -hmm. then, then we, when I make a mistake, we can laugh and I'm modeling that it's okay to not do it perfectly right. That the fun is in the, yes. in the play. Um, but yeah. that's a great game as well. Yeah. Yeah. That whole idea of making a mistake or failing at something uh, must be really, well, it's important to every student and every learner, uh, even adults, but especially for your learners, because uh, I, you know, my, um, my nephew uh, is uh, now 22 and he was diagnosed at age four with fetal alcohol syndrome and the delays and, and different uh, problems that go along with that. And it's very frustrating for him because he knows when there are things that he can't do that others are doing, especially as he, you know, grow, grew older and was in high school. And then, you know, now he's in a special program at, at Georgia Tech in college. So for them, the idea that it's okay, even people who don't outwardly have problems, you know, and my teacher can make mistakes and it's still okay. Yeah. And and to not lose your cool about it. Okay, I made a mistake. Uh, I'll try again. Next, or mm -hmm. tomorrow I'll do it better. I love what you mentioned about um, going to Georgia Tech because that was one of the pathways that I, I forgot to mention is that some of my students do go on to, to college. There are college programs um, now that, um, that focus on, on integrating students and giving them lots of support and looking at work placement for them in most of the um, community colleges in, in our province. So several of my students have done that as well and been very successful. Yeah, yeah, those are amazing programs. I've seen, this is his third year, I think, in the program. Uh, and it's amazing the amount of uh, personal skills and life skills that he's been able to attain because he's living in a dorm, independent. Obviously, uh, my, my brother and sister-in-law don't live very far away but he stays in the dorm. He has, you know, tutors that are helping him, but still he's on his own. And even during all of this, when he's been online, 
So yes, it, and it also increases their confidence. He, he knows that his sister uh, is also in college and he's able to go to college. So that of course increased his self-confidence. Um, it's, it's very important for them to feel like they're able to progress. When they're, when they're able to, like you said, each one of your students has a different path. And so it's really important to know uh, when it's sort of not on their path and when it's really you know, going to help them. Uh, because what we're all looking for is for them to be able to be adults in the community and feel that they're a part of the community, which also is part of their belonging, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and that's one of the things I love about those college programs too, is they, they are just like every other student in those dorms. They're making relationships with, with all of their peers. They're in the same classes with their peers. They just have a little extra help on the side. And, and I think that's great. And we see that, we see that again in, in the high school, we see it through best, the best buddies program, or we see it through special Olympics. It's, it's building those relationships, it's getting to know each other, and it's as valuable for my students as it is for the neurotypical students who are working with us. Yes, absolutely. And are the, are the students interacting with, with other students? How is the school set up? So are they interacting with other students or is it just special needs? Do they have sort of peer programs where they're, the others are also seeing how well they're able to do in spite of their differences? I mean, we try and, and be as inclusive as we can, and it's all it's all based on on what the student is able to do. We have we have programs where some of our students are able to integrate into the credit courses, and they take the credit course just like any other student will. And right now, they can take two a semester, so two out of their four could be credit courses, and they're working towards credit if they can. And if they don't get the credit, that's okay too. If you're still in their learning skills and being learning the social skills with the other peers as well. We have um, the Best Buddies program, which is um, much more social. Um, every, say, once a week or every other week, um, it's peers from the neurotypical group, and it's also our students, and they become, they're, they're um, put together with a peer, and they're, those are their buddy. And they, okay. they, will, they will go on little outings at lunch, they'll have little parties, they'll, have, uh, they'll go and play basketball together. Um, but it, it helps foster those relationships, because sometimes our kids are very shy about talking to other kids in the hallway and sometimes the neurotypical kids um, are a little right. bit afraid building those relationships in a in a non-academic situation is is much more real and much more um, fulfilling for them I think and we see that again in Special Olympics because the students often have a peer helper to help them get to all the events because if you can imagine let's think about a track meet if I'm taking my class to a track meet everybody's got events and they're all over the huge track and for me there's no way I can be at every event with every student. I have great aids, sure. but there's still no way to do that. And so we, we match them up with a peer and the peers help them get to those events. They cheer them on. Or we also have um, um, unified teams. So the team will be made up of neurotypical and our students. And we had a team, uh, a bocce team that went to the provincials last year for Special Olympics, a unified Amazing. team. Yeah, and I, one of the teams, uh, we had two teams go. One of the teams uh, won a bronze medal and one just was just out of the medals but they actually go and they stay at the at a university for the day the days while the competition is going on they're in the dorms together they're going to their competitions awesome. together um just great the relationships that are built and the learning that's that happens through that 
Yeah, and that's so wonderful also for the school climate and the school community, the mm -hmm. sense of belonging so that when the, the students, all of them, uh, walk into that building, they feel that it's really their building, that they're not just going to a certain room and that's, that's where you know, they belong, uh, but that the whole school is a welcoming place and a safe place for them. And that, that's mm -hmm. so important to, to belonging. I wanted to just go back and ask you a little bit about your podcast. I'm curious about how it got started. Tell us a little bit about what it's called and the idea behind it. And then when you started it, just a little bit about it because uh, I, I like the, the sort of uh, idea about it. It's a bit different than many podcasts. So I have a podcast, um, plays on pretty much any podcast player, but um, it's, its main home is Voice Ed Canada, but you can get it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. And it's called, I Wish I Knew EDU. And how it started was I was I was taking a course, an AQ course, and it was all about integrating computers and technology into your classroom. And the instructor had said, hey, I know this guy. He's putting together an internet radio station. His name's Stephen Hurley. Um, oh, wow. And he said, he's got this show he's doing. It, and it, it's, uh, it's like you're comparing technologies and it's kind of a bit of a debate between the two of you. Would you, would you be interested in coming on? I said, yeah, sure. What the heck? I'll give it a shot. And I so we it. did it. And, and it was, it was Stephen and I, and I think I was, I, I can't even remember what technology I was putting forth, but he was on the super eight uh, projectors, you know, from like the sixties and seventies. Oh gosh. Yes. And if there was a lot of banter between us, we, we I was really a fun, a fun episode to do. And when we were done and stopped recording, Stephen said, you know, you seem to have a great presence. You're not afraid to, to say what you mean. Why don't, why don't you think about doing a podcast? And I said, oh, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. And so I needed some time to mm -hmm. let it ruminate and figure out what was my focus going to be. And, and I've always been a huge, uh, a huge proponent of mentorship. I've always been a mentor to, to teachers, both formally. The, the province of Ontario has a new teacher induction program, and they get a mentor through that. So every new teacher gets a mentor when they start. So I've done that pretty much every year but also those informal mentoring that you do with new people in the building, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I thought I'd really like to do a podcast about the opportunities that are out there. Because when I graduated, I graduated with a history and English degree. I thought I'd be teaching history and English for the rest of my life. And you get out into the world and opportunities present themselves and you're like, wow, if I had, you know, <laughs> wouldn't that be great to have known that sooner? I could have, I could have found my passion quicker or, geez, if I had, you know, if I knew about this, I might have tried it. I thought, wouldn't that be a great idea for a podcast to have people come on, whether they're fairly new to teaching or very experienced in teaching and talk about their educational journey. And what was it that, what were the opportunities that presented themselves and changed the path of their journey and what's out there for you. So not just to share tips and tricks, but to look at the big wide world, because education is much bigger than my history English classroom that I thought I'd be in for the rest of my life. Yeah, you know, there's there, there's you could work for the ministry, you could work for the College of Teachers, you could teach overseas. You can't. There's so many opportunities mm -hmm. that people just haven't been exposed to. So that was the idea. So I called it. I wish I knew Edu, and I bring on teachers and we talk about their journey. I always ask them what they wish they knew when they started teaching, and the answers are always varied and amazingly great. And then I always ask them to look forward. What are their hopes for education? 
uh, what do they hope that we're doing maybe five, 10 years down the road? And even though I only have, you know, I can technically retire in about four years, I want to know. I'm still interested in where education is going to go beyond that. Because just because I stop the formal teaching, I, you never stop being a teacher. Once a teacher, you are always a teacher. Yes, I've retired, but not really. <laughs> yes. And I so understand I am about in, the mentoring. Yeah, go ahead. So I'm in season three. I'm almost finished season three. So I've been doing it for three years. I try and drop an episode every week. If I can, the odd time I will take a break. So this is the winter break. And this past two weeks, two weeks, I've been replaying some of the episodes from, from this year to, mm -hmm. to kind of, you know, give people a second chance to hear them. But I do try and drop a fresh episode every week. And maybe that person isn't who you're wanting to listen to that doesn't interest you, but maybe next week they will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I love the way you got started. Uh, Stephen Hurley is a, a great mentor. That's for sure. And I know, uh, you know, how he started the the uh, voice ad about, I think it's, he reached the four year anniversary and, and how many of the educators he's really encouraged and how many people he has on every week that he talks to live because he loves live radio. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really, really awesome. And I'm not surprised that that's what he was talking about. And <laughs> when you, when you debated with him, because he loves that stuff. And I, I'm really excited about listening to uh, his son and also his other son, his older son, who's now involved sort of in helping him organize everything, which is really cool that he uh, even includes his, his family and all of it. But um, Ramona, this has been so awesome. I, I've learned so much and there, you know, I've had many different educators on my, on my podcast, but you're the first one who's really had a, a specific uh, types of, of not types of students, but specific students where you really had to personalize and differentiate for them. And I think it'll be great for the listeners to hear about your journey and the kinds of things that you do with them and, and where they go after that. So I think that's, that's really, really important. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to talk about or any other advice that you wanted to offer our listeners before, before we end here? I think the, the advice I would give is just be open, be open to those opportunities. Maybe, maybe it falls in your lap. Maybe it's something you're looking for, but whatever it is, give it a thought. Like, don't just quickly dismiss it. Give it a thought and think, you know, maybe this is the right fit for me. Maybe this is a good change for me. Maybe this is something I want to try because I would never have found my passion if I hadn't been open to the, when, when they said, will you teach this? Absolutely. Yeah. If I hadn't said yes, I would not have found that passion. So so, so be open to that, be open to new learning because we will never stop learning and we'll never stop being teachers. You're absolutely right. That's such great advice. The preconceived notions that we have sometimes are, are so narrowly focused. If we do open ourselves up to those opportunities, as you just said, we really will find our passion many times and just like you found yours, which is wonderful. And and I can tell from your talking about it that it that it is really something you love to do. So uh, where is the best place for people to find you if they're looking right after the podcast? And of course, I'll include all of that in the show notes, including the information about the tribes. Probably the best place to find me is Twitter. I'm very Twitterpated. Um, I'm on there a lot. And if you go to my profile, it will link you to my blog and to my website if you want to learn more 
or if you want to find the um, the podcast, it's all linked through my profile on Twitter. And you can find me. My handle is at Ramona Maharg. So R-A-M-O-N-A-M-E-H-A-R-G. And I also have a classroom account. It's called uh, at Maharg's Viking. So if you want to see it, what the classroom's up to, I try to post as much as I can. It's been a little tougher this year because we've got to keep our space and so on. But um, M-E-H-A-R-G-S-V-I-K-I-N-G-S. Oh, that's awesome. I don't think I'm following that one. I definitely will take a look at that because uh, now that I know more about your what you're doing, I'm really interested in seeing it actually in your classroom. Thank you so much, Ramona. Again, this was such a pleasure turning the tables on you and having you on my podcast this week. Thank you. Well, it's an absolute honor, Eileen, and uh, it has been great talking to you and getting to know you better. I guess we'll, we'll see you on the socials. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're inspired by what you heard, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about belonging, check my website, Journeys to Belonging, that's Journeys number two belonging, dot webstarts.com. See you next week.